At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 267th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where three days a week we work together educating and inspiring you to become part of your food revolution. Raising farm animals in your backyard is not just rewarding, it's actually easier than you think, especially if you have Kari Spencer to help get you prepared. Just text CHICKENS to 33444 or visit BackyardFarmAnimals.com to receive our free webinar on how to raise chickens, goats, and more. Promote biodiversity and put your backyard animals to work. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Jim Tebow to talk about food, water, and national security. Jim is a former regional environmental planner and was responsible for numerous environmental impact statements and planning studies in Washington, Idaho, Oregon, and Alaska. He is currently president and CEO of the Chronicles Group, a not-for-profit corporation focusing on educating the public through media about profound issues that affect both human and ecological systems. He has written, produced, and directed an array of prominent, socially significant productions, including The Iceman Tapes, A&E's Bad Cops, and Execution at Midnight. His environmentally focused pieces include Running Dry, a documentary regarding the worsening global humanitarian water crisis, along with its follow-up, The American Southwest, Are We Running Dry?, and soon to be released, Beyond the Brink a film on how food shortages like the one in California's San Joaquin Valley will lead to a national security threat. Welcome to the show today, Jim. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Well, it's a winding path. Um, I started out as an environmental planner in the Pacific Northwest. I had a degree from the University of Washington in landscape architecture. I had previous degrees from UCLA and San Francisco State. Mm-hmm. Really, basically, I was studying uh, public administration, and but I evolved into becoming a regional environmental planner and wrote environmental impact statements and planning studies and energy studies up in the Northwest. In fact, I wrote the very first impact statement ever written in this country. Wow. And I also produced a couple of documentaries mm-hmm. for local television in, in, in Seattle and decided that at some point that I thought media was the best way for me to go in my life. And uh, so the next thing I knew, I was on I was at MGM in Los Angeles, or, and I developed a movie for CBS called A Deadly Business about organized crime involvement in the toxic waste industry. It was oh, a real wow. movie, and, and starred Alan Arkin, Armando Sante, and... We shot in Toronto, and um, it was about organized crime involvement in the toxic waste industry. Mm-hmm. And then I went into the world of criminal justice and produced the Iceman tapes, Conversations with a Killer for HBO, 
Then I did two two-part shows for Arts Entertainment Network. One was on the death penalty called Execution at Midnight, mm-hmm. and the next one was uh, called Bad Cops about police corruption in the Northeast. Wow. And then I produced and worked on a uh, helped produce a film for ABC News Turning Point, an hour-long documentary on New York City police corruption. Then I came back out to out to Los Angeles, came home really, uh-huh. and uh, produced a two-hour documentary for public television called The Cold War and Beyond about the history of events and decisions that escalated the arms race during the Cold War. And then I became connected with former United States Senator Paul Simon, who had written a book called Tapped Out about the global water crisis. And uh. I felt that it was really really a remarkable piece of work mm-hmm. and and should be and should be made into a documentary and so I produced Running Dry and then um which was about the global water crises and then I produced another film another documentary on water called American Southwest Running Dry and mm-hmm. and it was related to the Colorado and that was on uh, public television and now I'm uh, producing um, a new film on the water and energy nexus and its impact on on national security called Beyond the Brink. Wow. That is quite the road from uh, being an basically an environmental planner to uh you know producing bad cops and execution at midnight. That uh, sounds like a fun story. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I don't know how fun how much fun it is, but uh, actually I I found it all the whole the whole adventure be, to be to be stimulating and uh-huh. I've met a lot of great people and have had a lot of wonderful experiences. Wow, cool. So we're here to talk about water today. So can you tell us about Running Dry? Well, Running Dry, I, I don't think up to that point in time there was such visibility related to the global water crises and its impact on national on international security. Mm-hmm. And so I um and I worked with Paul Simon and, and Senator Simon, who the late Senator Simon, I put it that way, mm-hmm. who had written a book called a very important book called Tapped Out, and uh, and I um, and I I filmed in um, Israel, in the Gaza Strip and the West Bank, and filmed uh, in Africa, South Africa mainly. Went on to India, filmed uh, in India, filmed in Singapore. Filmed, uh, spent several weeks in China filming, and then went to Moscow, uh, interviewed Mikhail Gorbachev, and talked wow. about the Aral Sea. And then I brought it home. I filmed in Las Vegas and, uh, and, and indicated that um, you know Ground Zero in the United States has, has always been um, the for the water crisis has been Las Vegas. Yeah. So it was a, it was an important film, and the first major screening of the film was at the Russell Center building on Capitol Hill. Wow. To um, key members of Congress, and which resulted in the Paul Simon Water for the Poor Act. Oh, wow. Which is U.S. foreign policy legislation. And, and uh, Congress, um, they, and in fact, it evolved from the, that was in 2000, 2005, I believe, 2004 or 5. And then, uh, and then they upgraded it, tweaked it, so to speak, to the and calling of the Paul Simon Water, Water for the World Act. And that was done in 2015, I think. Mm-hmm. And but it it is U.S. foreign policy legislation, and it uh, it really applies to international security. Yeah. So basically, what you're doing in all of your work, uh, all of your water work, is connecting 
national security, food security to water. Can you kind of make that connection for our listeners? Well, water, of course, is fundamental, mm-hmm. and but we need it for all kinds of purposes, not only for drinking purposes and for home and sanitation and, and hygiene, mm-hmm. but at the same time, we also need it for food production. And uh, so without it, uh, we, we will die as a planet. So it's fundamental. And there are many places on the planet which has real problems related to water. You know, the Horn of Africa, Yemen, uh, zero serious problems. Uh, in, in, in fact, one of the things that's been happening uh, and uh, is, is the reality that people are moving from in, in, in developing worlds are moving from rural areas to urban areas. And mm-hmm. it really causes a lot of strain on developing infrastructure and that sort of thing. So it's a it's a big problem all over the world. It's trying to generate clean, clean drinking water in, for drinking purposes and for mm-hmm. food security and also for sanitation. It's right. really a big it's a big deal. Yeah. And uh, and if we don't have it, we're in trouble. And and uh, and quite frankly, there are places in the United States who have serious problems. California, for example, right. has a whole uh, has close to a million people that are without drinking water. Wow! So I mean, really? it's it's a big it's a big deal, and I know that I filmed on the Hopi and Navajo reservation, which is close to where you are, yep. and there was there's been serious problems related to water scarcity. So I mean, it's yeah. a we have we have we have third world conditions even in the United States, and and um, and that's a that's a big problem. That's yeah. a real big problem, and it's a, and it's inexcusable. Right, right. So, what kind of issues are we seeing? Well, as I just mentioned, in California, there's a million people uh, without uh, access to clean drinking water. It right. has to be brought in. Water has to be brought in. I mean, there's problems in the, problems across the country in various various localities, and we 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 all know about um, what happened in Flint, Michigan. All right. So, I mean, it's it's a it's a um, it's it's really borders along. I think irresponsible uh, governance. And uh, and I think that especially in today's world, we, there should be no problems related to you know to, to generating drink, clean drinking water for everyone. I think a lot of that has to do with the infrastructure around it, though, does it not? Infrastructure is we we really need to build rebuild our infrastructure. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. Um, I I'm, I've been a big advocate for that, and there's technology available. We just have to get our priorities straight in this country. So can you talk about the water and food nexus? Well, yeah, sure. It's a bigger, it's really, that's a big question, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm producing a film, uh, and as we speak, and it's almost completed, called Beyond the Brink. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and its main focus is the water and food nexus and the problems associated. And I focus on the, on the problems in the Central Valley of California, the San Joaquin Valley, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is which is really our our food basket for this country. The San Joaquin Valley provides fruits and vegetables and and uh, healthy food for the entire country. But unfortunately, uh, well, there's a because of drought, because of extensive drought periods. It's part of a Mediterranean climate, by the way. Uh-huh. Uh, right. California. There are five regions of the world that have Mediterranean climate, which are really arguably our food baskets of the world. And but drought is, is is prevailing 
in every one of these regions or has prevailed. It's it goes with the it goes with the territory of being part of the part of Mediterranean climate. And when you have these extensive droughts, it's a real problem. And then it's it's been and then of course it's it's compound the problem is 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 issues which where the water is coming from. The the watershed in California, for mm. example, has been experiencing back for almost a century fire suppression uh, policies, and that has uh, prevented uh, the natural evolution of forests and oh, uh, and right. has allowed small trees and shrubs to grow in the in the in the um, in the in the Sierra Nevada mountains. Mm-hmm. Which is prevented, um, which which is actually absorbed most of the water, mm-hmm. and so therefore it has prevented the, the 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 amount of water getting into the tributaries, which is a big problem. Yeah, and and um, it's just overloaded with biomass. Is yeah. what's really what's happening. Yeah, well, I just wanted to clarify that piece about the fire suppression because, from my memory, I don't have a lot of learning in this, but from my memory about it. The, what's happening is, is that we're suppressing, as human beings in this country, we're suppressing those fires. Fires, we're not letting them burn, and then what happens is they, when when they burn periodically, they burn away the low growing growing brush, but they don't. They're not massive fires. Is that the case? Well, what's happening? What's happening? Really, honestly, uh-huh. is the fact that it's it's it because of these low these shrubs and trees small trees which have grown as a result of fire suppression right it's cut we're it, looking at it from a human ecological perspective mm-hmm. it's cut off the immune systems to to the to the natural forest right and a lot of, and and the Sierra Nevada mountain is dying um, it, it's 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 these trees are not getting not getting sufficient water mm-hmm. and it's opened the door for beetles and all kinds of other diseases to enter into that whole system yeah. and they're dying and and all these dead trees are very susceptible to fires mm-hmm. and when they do have a fire up yeah. there which is damn near almost every year yep. they're infernos right. they're infernos and they kill wildlife they yeah. kill people they they destroy the ecological system so it's really a man-made system, man-made decision, man-made policy, which mm-hmm. has been detrimental to the ecological system. You know, back in the hundred years ago, before the Europeans came to the United to to this continent, the Native Americans were out there, and they uh, they 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 actually even set fires to 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 help mm. to help clear the clear the forest. Right. And of course, Mother Nature t- does its job with with you know with fires, and that's natural. And and it sh- we should allow that to happen. Yeah. Certainly, yes. Of course, we 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 need to protect people, but fires are a natural part of the ecological system. Yep. And we and we should have allowed that to happen. And uh, and and I'm I, I'm working with the I've, within the film. I'm talking to various. Uh, entities about approach to solutions, which is to uh, is to is to do away with the uh, the the, uh, the policy mm-hmm. and to thin the thin the Sierra Mountain mountains and take that biofuel and convert it to transportation fuel or ah. other kinds of uh, right. other kinds of um, um, 
chemicals and that sort of thing. But yeah. but, but recycle it into something, something. that could be productive for yeah. society. Exactly. And also, we, in the Central Valley of California, there's an incredible amount of unemployment. I mean, it's a mm. there's some of the worst unemployment in the country is in the Central Valley of California. We've got a, a lot of farm workers who don't have jobs and so forth. And uh, this would make open the door for some major jobs. So, I mean, it, it, it's a win-win situation yeah. to, to go in there and, and, and deal with it. But if we don't deal with it, we're going to continue to have problems in terms of generating a sufficient amount of water in the tributaries and water for, uh, right. for growing, our, growing our food in, in the Central Valley. Well, and, and what I find really amazing is that, you know, we really are here to talk about food security and water and the, the breadth at the stuff that we're talking about. Uh, is amazing. So the whole water issue isn't just about water. It is so much more. It's interconnected. Yeah. We're talking about the entire ecological system. Mm-hmm. And and that's something a lot of people don't think about, the fact that it's not just one. Everything is interconnected. And you're a, you're a, you're a uh, environmental planner. Yep. You've studied ecology. Oh, yes. you, know, you understand the reality of the ecological system. And it, the fact of the matter is, it's important that we understand that. Everything yeah. is interconnected. Yeah. Yeah, and the more we can, and uh, this is the realm of what I call permaculture. Uh, I like to call permaculture the art and science of working with nature, and I study it. And it's how do we plug into nature and honor the natural systems, and then as human beings work in the flow of those natural systems. Well, you know, you take that, take that whole thought process and apply it to public policy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and that we use science and as 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 and educate members of, of members of legislatures mm-hmm. to understand that science is a very great tool and that it should be applied to public policy and to be able to be able to be able to be be able to be used along those lines to make to make appropriate decisions. Yeah, we don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. In fact, there's a resistance it seems to me from right now of science in our society. We have yeah. to kind of recognize the reality of what's going on in the planet. The planet is always changing, but mm-hmm. you know, it's now it's because of population growth. We've got we've we've got seven billion people. We've never had seven billion people going on right. ten billion people on this planet. Yeah, exactly. And that and the impact is profound. And uh in this country we're getting we're getting close to four hundred million people. Uh we're California's going from going from forty to sixty million people. Wow. So I mean, it, it, we don't know. We haven't. We're operating a new territory. Yeah. And th- that's the kinds of things we need to be thinking about. So it's we're dealing with the ecological system. We're also dealing with population growth, and we've got problems now that we haven't even considered back 20 years ago. Right. Exactly. So let's let's go ahead and connect this food security issue to water and the San Joaquin Valley. What what's in our future for that? Well, I'm an optimist, mm-hmm. or I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Yeah, and so I think it's critical that we spend time uh, thinking about planning. I'm a I'm a regional planner. We need to start thinking about how we're going to be able to up not only not only create a sufficient amount of water for the valley. Mm-hmm. The San Joaquin Valley is is really a man-made. I mean, the the whole system. The, the the infrastructure system was put in in the 50s and yep. 50s and 60s when there was like 10 to 12 
million people in the state of California. As right. I mentioned, there's now 40 million. <laughs> so it's it, it's important that we take a look at the at the whole infrastructure that's going on in California mm-hmm. and see what we can do with regional environmental planning. And that's kind of what the way it should be approached. And and I think this is a, this is the kind of thing that we should be doing. We should be doing that across the country, really, truthfully. Right. Exactly. Uh, but 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 in but in terms of food security, we need to we need to focus on the Central Valley and and help that along. Because the fact is that if we don't focus on water and food nexus, it could bring this country to its knees. Mm-hmm. Because we we go into a grocery store now and we buy our food, it's cheaper than perhaps has ever been. Yeah. But if we don't focus on this and we create a problem of of food scarcity because of lack of water, which is inexcusable in itself, it could have economic ramifications that are profound. Make the make the you know, problems related to oil or anything else, any of our any other items that we need in our society that it would be become minor. And we need to focus on this. When I, and I've heard people say that the next big war is going to be all about water. Well, it's, that I've heard the same thing, yeah. and it could very well be. I mean, my interview with Kyle Gorbachev when I did when I did Running Dry, I mean, he made the comment that, that no nation's leader wouldn't would would uh, hesitate going to war yeah. if it wasn't for water. And 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 um, uh, the problems in Syria evolved as a result of water. Yep. You know, it's happening all over. You know, I, I'm a big advocate for regional planning, and I think that we need to we need to develop a kind of a Marshall Plan for, say, for example, the Middle East, mm-hmm. which with an emphasis on water. I, I really believe that would be really instrumental in yeah. helping to maybe stem a lot of the problems we have to have out there in the in that world, all the way from West Africa to uh, to to Turkey. You know, yeah. we should be focusing on water and and um and and infrastructure and all kinds of things right so what can we do as end users around this whole water issue well i think first of all we got to realize that the water the, the water doesn't just come from the tap uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know food doesn't just come in the grocery from the right. grocery store mm-hmm. you know we have to start thinking about we have to stretch our minds in terms of realizing how much effort there is to, to it takes to bring water into the system, mm-hmm. and recognize it and respect it, and 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 support the development of appropriate infrastructure and green technology, mm-hmm. and at the same time examine you know talk to understand what's happening with water utilities and what's happening and respect the farm. Respect the farmers. Yeah. Understand that they have a role to play in society. It's the toughest job in the I mean, one of the toughest jobs in the world is having a farm because there's so many variables in, in terms of being in the agriculture industry. Oh, and, uh, and, and, and we, have to respect, we have to respect the integrity of, of that whole industry yeah. and do everything we can to protect it yeah. and, and, and make them accountable, too. You know, in terms of right. proper, proper methods of dealing with food, yeah. and, but and and also we need to look out for the people who support that industry, like the farm workers. Mm-hmm. And we have to recognize the fact that people came to this country. A lot of undoc, a lot of undocumented people are in the in the Central Valley of California, yeah. 
and 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 they're there strictly most of them are there to work in the farms yeah and and we and a lot of them are out of work and uh, it's a lot of poverty and we need to look out for them too mm-hmm. you know so it's it's an important it's an important issue and it's something that's kind of takes sometimes backstage yeah we don't really look at it as is you know we 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 draw to some easy conclusion but we need to deal with you know our immigration problems uh in relationship to farm workers yeah. And, and 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 these because these these people play play a vital role in 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 in, in our own food security. Right, making sure there's food in the grocery stores. Absolutely. So, tell us about Beyond the Brink quickly, and when when will it be out, and why should we watch it? Well, I hope you watch it. Uh-huh. Um, I my my objective is to have it released theatrically in California mm-hmm. in movie theaters. Because I think Californians, first of all, have need to understand the reality of the situation in California, right. and I'm working very closely to. Um, I've I've been very very lucky in this project where I've got support from the University of California, as a totality. Um, I've been interviewing scientists because they obviously in California, the University of California system um, has you know, some of the best greatest science scientists in the world mm-hmm. talking to people in Fresno State which is in the heart of this central valley um, so we we I have ac- a lot of top flight academic people who are a part of this project UCLA Davis mm-hmm. UC Merced all a lot of the universities cool. at the same time I've 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 interviewed members of the California state government uh, um, and um, and people from the farm community and others who who depend on the water in California. It's not just the farm community. Uh, uh, the the water goes from the from the watershed into the uh, two of the major rivers, the San Joaquin and and the, and the Sacramento River goes into the into the Bay Delta, and the De- Bay Delta is the linchpin for water for portions of Northern California, right. the Central Valley, the agriculture industry, and Southern California. About one third of the water. That, that Southern Los Angeles and Southern mm-hmm. California uses comes from the comes from the Bay, Bay Delta, so that, that has to be dealt with. And, yeah. and 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 we we can't ignore the reality of climate change. It is happening, mm-hmm. and it is and is having a big impact. And and there's a lot of and the Delta is in a very precarious position right now. Most people say that it's predictable that it, it's going to fail either by a major earthquake in California, of course, right. it's famous for its earthquakes. And it's not impossible to believe that a seven or eight point earthquake could hit the Delta and, or a, a hundred year storm could uh-huh. hit the Delta and knock the Delta out and salt water could be pouring in uh, and, and just completely. And that would mean that there would be a loss of water for maybe, maybe months, if not years. Wow. And that would, that would be, that would be a talk about national security problem. It would right. be a profound one. Yeah. So, so these are these are the issues that I'm talking about in the in the film, and I'm hopeful that uh, people will find it uh, compelling. I'm I'm looking forward to it. When should we expect it? My deadline to finish the film is the end of July, and then we're going to have some premieres. My distributor will get involved after that. Perfect. We'll be moving forward, and and if if the film does well in California, well, you can expect to see it and in Phoenix, because I think there's a lot of re- relevance to oh, people yes, living there in, is. The, Absolutely. in Arizona and across the country. Yeah. Um, and of course, we, as I have in all my films, uh, my central focus is, is public policy, and I intend to present it to members of Congress. 
I always take all my films and cut them down to a shorter version so it, it, it can be presented in 20, 25 minutes in a synopsis form. Ah, um, very good. And so I do that I do that for all my, my running dry and American Southwest mm-hmm. running dry, and I tend to do it in this one for this film too. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like it's made a difference there, so good on you. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. Well, I'm in the film business. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so, you know, we have our failures. I mean, you know, uh, you know, I never get used to rejection, honestly, uh, but, but it, it happens in the film business all the time. Um, I have so many reasons. I mean, I've had projects over the years that never made it. It's always disappointing, and you have to be able to pick yourself back up and, mm-hmm. and, and work with it. Um, it's, it's hard to raise funds. Um, and especially in today's world, there, I've had this is a beyond the brink is the toughest project I've ever had taken on mm-hmm. in my entire professional career, yeah. and that that goes all the way back to day one. So it's very very difficult. So that's been that's a part of it. And uh, but you know you just have to persevere. That's all. Yeah. Is that your what's your learning from it? Is a perseverance. Well, yeah, I mean, you you get creative and how you how you um, have to deal with um, mm-hmm. issues, and that I think that's that's the way it is. I mean, you have to just figure it out, and and you know, I'm not going to let I'm not going to let a you know something, you know, what do you, what what are the options do you have in life? You know, <laughs> if you, you so you so you you strike out, you got to come back up to bat again. Yeah. You know, what are you going to give it up? What else are you going to do? Right. What else am I going to do with my life? Right. right? I mean, exactly. this is what I've been doing. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I, I think, and I think it's worthwhile. I mean, it, 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 I get, I have no trouble getting out of bed in the morning and going into the gym and working out every day mm-hmm. and trying to stay healthy and, and to be able to take it on. That's, that's, that's all you can do, yeah. really. What do you consider your biggest success? You know, I think uh, the, the fact that I've still, I'm still working. I'm still doing what I'm doing, and uh, and the fact that I've, I've I've managed to have an impact on mm-hmm. I think public public policy, policy big time, it and and, like, and, yeah. and and public awareness. I I think when when it comes down to it, I don't consider myself the greatest filmmaker in the world, but but I do consider myself a pretty good educator and have a knack of putting these things together in such a way as that people seem to comprehend it. Yeah. You know, and, and and I think I got better at it as I go along. Mm-hmm. I think doing documentaries, which is what I've primarily been working on, although when I did Deadly Business in my movie uh, years ago, uh, that was one of the most fun experiences I've ever had. But doing documentaries is, you know, is a dynamic, organic process. And, uh, and, I, and I think that um, it, you know, it, 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 it always feels great when, it, when it's finally, when it's you finally can see, see it coming together. Yeah. And, and I, I consider myself an educator, and I mm-hmm. try to. I've, I've presented my films at universities across the country, and to students, and that's my favorite thing to do is to get get together. I've been at Arizona State. I've been at uh, Gonzaga. They 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 actually used their basketball arena, their, their their gym, and presented my my two oh, of my nice. films nice. to a to a to a large audience. Yeah. I've presented my films at Georgia Tech. Um, I presented my films, and as I mentioned, at, at, at the Capitol Visitor Center in Washington. Oh, I presented right. my films at um, and organized events at the United Nations, wow. um, Ohio State University. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, it's just it's been a been a been a, an adventure in terms of being able to get out and 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 present the film in such a way as a hopefully educating people. Yeah. 
So what drives you? What drives me? Just my objectives, you know, trying to trying to generate public policy, mm-hmm. trying to make a difference. You know, and I, I just want to do a shout out. I have chosen not to go in the public policy arena because it's so can be so challenging. So I just want to, you know, kudos to you for pursuing that and doing something with that because public policy isn't. All right, I'm not going to say it is, but it can be an arduous life. Well, I, I something about that I didn't mention is like I ran for mayor of Seattle years ago. Oh wow! And and I uh, and I didn't win, of course, or I wouldn't be talking to you all right now. But but I I did learn a lot of things. People wanted me to run for city council and so forth, and uh, I chose not to go down that direction because I I just feel that you know it just wasn't my calling. Yeah. But one of the things I did decide is the fact that I still wanted to have a have an impact on public policy. Mm-hmm. And so I moved in a different direction. And, uh, and that's kind of in a way having that experience of running for office, uh, put me in that political arena. And, right. and I consider myself, I consider myself political, uh, in terms of understanding the political process. Mm-hmm. And I find it always find it challenging. <laughs> it's, it's more challenging today than I've ever seen it before. Yeah. But, you know, but I think the issues that I'm, that are presented in my films transcend political ideology right they're not they're not a republican issue not a democratic issue they're people issues right and and i think we and i think that they're they're kind of fall within that 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 area that that everyone needs to be cognizant of and then that i found that out easily got support on running dry on in 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 moving towards the paul simon water for the poor act is because we got support from Republicans and Democrats for that. It was almost universal. Right. And the same thing with the Paul Simon Water for the World Act. I mean, it was, it was, it was almost unanimous uh, because everybody got it. Everybody understood that right. in terms of the importance of, of water and, uh, and public policy mm-hmm. uh, and, and national, international or national security. People mostly get it, but we got to still have a long way to go <laughs> in this country for people to understand that you know, we're dealing, we don't, sometimes we don't deal with our priorities. And, 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 and I think that we have to kind of come to grips and deal with fundamental issues in this country. Right. If we're, this country is going to continue to be a vibrant, dynamic uh, society. Yeah. Yes. Amen to that. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Well, I, I have to recommend two because they both, they both are kind of interrelated. Mm-hmm. One would be a book that I utilize, and you may be familiar with it, was uh, uh, called Design with Nature, oh, yes. which was a book, a book by uh, Ian McCarg, yep. who was the uh, head of the School of Landscape Architecture at Penn. And uh, that's a, it's a great book. It had a big, big, it had a big impact on me yep. in terms of designing, doing planning in relationship to the ecological system. And the other one, of course, is Paul Simon's book, which I'd referred to earlier, Tapped Out, mm-hmm. you know, about the global water crisis. They're both interconnected, and I think they're both important books. Yeah. And they both have had an impact on my life. Yeah. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? All I, all I can say is that your listeners wouldn't, you wouldn't have listeners if they, I mean, if they weren't interested in the topics that you're presenting. Yeah. And so, therefore, they, they are engaged. I would say that, you know, reach out. Be a part of the be, be a part of the be part of the dialogue. Be part of the game. 
get into it. Uh, it's important. I think that, you know, talk to your congressman, talk to your, legis- your, your members of your state legislatures, your leaders in your community about these important issues. Make, them, ma- make, these, make these issues the, of top priority, mm-hmm. food security, water security. These are things that are really critical to our society. Make them pay attention. And, and, and also, wherever you can, talk to the kids. You know, mm. Get into the schools. Our kids are the, the, the going to be our future leaders, and they have to understand the reality of the situation as well. Yeah. In fact, I mean, it's, it's critical. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a comprehensive thing, but if you're going to be involved, don't, you know, be engaged. That's all I can say. Yeah. Because it, we need it. What else is there to do, really? Right. right. So, well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Jim. Well, it's my pleasure. If uh, anyone's interested uh, in what I do, uh, you can go into my website at www.chroniclesgroup.org mm-hmm. or www.runningdry.org. Or if anybody wants to communicate with me directly, you can send me an email, jamestebow at msn.com. Perfect. It's T-H-E-B-A-U-T. Perfect, perfect. Well, thank you, thank you. And you can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash beyond the brink. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Raising farm animals in your backyard is not just rewarding, it's actually easier than you think especially if you have Kari Spencer to help get you prepared. Just text CHICKENS to 33444 or visit BackyardFarmAnimals.com to receive our free webinar on how to raise chickens, goats, and more, promote biodiversity, and put your backyard animals to work. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.